This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back to Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here once again as the Mariners in Minnesota to take on the Twins a huge, huge weekend as the Mariners get set to take on Minnesota. You look at the standings. We have a lot to get to in this podcast, by the way. A lot of things I think you will enjoy coming up. A conversation with Rainier's hitting coach, who was with the Mariners this past homestand, Scott Brocious. Very interesting career. You know his playing career with the Yankees and World Series MVP. But also, very interesting background. Northwest guy, went to Linfield, went back to coach at Linfield. So we talk all about that coming up. Rick Riz will sit down with John Stanton. I don't think I put this conversation on the podcast at any point. So it's going to be here today. So I'm making up for it. Rick Riz with John Stanton. Also, Rick will sit down with Dan Wilson. Always a great conversation. Always great when Dan Wilson stops by. So all that coming up on the podcast. And we'll get you ready for Mariners in Minnesota just a huge series this weekend for obvious reasons. You look at the standings, only 10 games to go for the Mariners. Three games at Minnesota, three games at Houston, and then the final four against Oakland Thursday through Sunday next week to end the regular season. Ugh, it's hard to believe, just 10 games to go in this season. So here is what it looks like as we sit here before the games tonight. Boston, Cleveland, Texas, still the leaders in the division. Boston rolling. They've won eight in a row and doing the Mariners a big favor by beating Baltimore time after time. Toronto now holding the first wild card by a game. Here's the change from yesterday. Detroit swept a doubleheader against Minnesota. They've won four in a row. They've moved into the second wild card spot. Baltimore's been bounced out. Baltimore's out by half a game. They've lost four in a row. They were swept at home by Boston. Houston, a game and a half back at 81-72. and 72. They lost last night. Mariners off. Now two games back of Detroit for the second wild card at 80-72. and 72. Yankees still hanging around 79-73. and 73. They are three games back. Kansas City, a game above 500, five and a half back. So here's what it looks like this weekend. Boston and Tampa will hook up. Doesn't really have impact on the wild card at this point. Toronto and New York will play. So there'll be losses spread through there. That's going to be a very interesting series. Detroit will take on Kansas City over the weekend. Baltimore, this is one of those oddities. They're going to take on Arizona for a three-game homestand, which is pretty interesting. 
And Houston will take on the Angels. Angels beat Houston last night 2 nothing. And, of course, the Mariners will be in Minnesota for this three-game weekend. So that's how things line up. Now, the series for the Mariners, pretty interesting this weekend. Minnesota, the worst record in the American League, 55-98 and on the season. Not just the American League, the worst record in baseball. They have really struggled. They have dropped six games in a row. Now, what you have to know about Minnesota and why, despite the record, still a dangerous club, they're actually one of the top scoring teams in the American League since the All-Star break. 293 runs scored. You look at the top scoring teams, it's a pretty interesting list. The Red Sox are first. That's not a big shock. Cleveland second, not a big surprise either. Tampa Bay, the third highest scoring team since the All-Star break. Minnesota is fourth, 293 runs. By the way, Mariners are tied for seventh with Kansas City in the American League since the All-Star break, 279 runs. So that's where Minnesota can cause you a challenge. Pitching has been a different story for the Twins. Since the All-Star break, the worst ERA in the American League, 5.33, second worst in baseball to Arizona. And I mentioned Arizona a moment ago. They're kind of along the lines with the Twins where they've had a nice second half offensively. Pitching is where they have really struggled. And that's why you look at the pitching matchups, and the Mariners have a chance to have a, a really nice offensive weekend. There's only a handful of starters with an ERA over five that has made 20-plus starts in the majors this year, and the Mariners are going to face two of them this weekend. Kyle Gibson will go tonight. James Paxton will take the ball for the Mariners. He's been really good the last couple of starts, really good. He went perfect through five against Houston. Tough luck loss in that ballgame. Kyle Gibson will go for Minnesota. Six and ten, a 5-1-0 ERA for Gibson. Lefties have absolutely destroyed him this year. He's batting uh, batting 335 against him with nine home runs, 14 doubles. That obviously plays very well into the Mariners' skill set. He had a decent year last year. High expectations for the former Missouri standout, but it just has not come together for him this year. His fastball has been crushed. The difference is last year's changeup and slider opponents batted under 200 against them both. This year it's been a different story. His changeup opponents batting 277 against it, the slider 246, which still isn't that high, but I mean, we're getting to the point where it's nearly 100 points higher than last year. So he just has not been able to find a rhythm. So we'll see what the Mariners can do against Gibson. And then Saturday, Ariel Miranda will get the start. He's been one of the best starting pitchers in the month of September in baseball, has one of the best ERAs, second best in the American League for starters with uh, at least four starts in the month of September, the second best ERA. He's been great. Tyler Duffy will take the ball for the Twins. It's been a while since he started. He had his most recent start pushed back. It's been a real struggle for him as well. 8-11, and 11, a 6.39 ERA. Struggled in his last start last Wednesday. He gave up uh, six runs in three and two-thirds innings. He was really good to end last year. Expectations high for Duffy. Has great stuff, but has just struggled. And then Mariners on Sunday will take on Hector Santiago. He's pitched very well for Minnesota. Santiago on the season 12-9 with a 4-8-2 ERA. But lefty, too, so that will be a challenge for the Mariners in the finale of the series. 
Taiwan Walker will take the ball again for the Mariners against Minnesota on Sunday. So another big, big weekend for the Mariners and a weekend where they got to get some wins. Just no question about it. Looking up at a couple of different teams, trying to track down Detroit now in the wild card mix. It's not going to be easy. They have to win. They need some help along the way, but they have to do their part and have a big series against the Minnesota Twins this weekend. So it starts tonight. First pitch against the Minnesota Twins tonight, 5-10, first pitch. We'll take the air an hour before that for the pregame show. Paxton against Gibson in game one of this series. It's funny, the next time we talk, there are so many different possibilities, uh, (laughs) different arrangements of what the standings could look like by the time we talk again on Monday. So we'll see. We'll see where things are at. Hopefully you join us this weekend and what should be, uh, hopefully, a very fun weekend of Mariners baseball in Minnesota. Well, right now, here's Rick Riz sitting down with John Stanton. Well, right now, a very special visit with the brand-new CEO of the Seattle Mariners, Mr. John Stanton. John, you take over the ball club, your first official day on the job. What's it like to be the new CEO of the Seattle Mariners day one? Well, this is a great organization, Rick. I have been a fan since the team came here in 1977. I have been an owner for the last 17 years, and it's such an honor to uh, take on a role to lead the organization. Great team, and I mean both on and off the field. I'm just thoroughly excited about it. Here's my next question right there. You've been with this organization for a long time. How good is it for you right now when you take a look around and you see so many good people on the baseball side, the business side, promotions, uh, community relations to help make this a, a seamless transition for you? Well, the way I look at it, um, this team is playing great right now. And we all know there have been up and down years for the team on the field. There can't be up and down years for the team that provides service in the ballpark, that cleans this ballpark, that sells you the tickets, that takes care of you when you're here, the team that works in the community, even the team in accounting. All those people have to have a great day every day and a great year every year. And that's what I see with the Seattle Mariners. You make it a fun experience for all the fans coming out to the ballpark. You're the CEO, but as a fan right now, how excited are you about the chances for this ball club getting to the playoffs for the first time in a while? Rick, I was down in Houston on Wednesday night, and I had my uh, MLB at-bat app on, and I had the game on, and I just I couldn't get to sleep. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm watching that ninth inning. I'm watching Seeger dive for that ball. I'm watching that great pick by Dejo, and I, I, I couldn't get to sleep for another hour. I was so excited about it. You know, if you don't like exciting baseball – you shouldn't be a Mariner fan, but if you do like it, you've never seen a better experience than our fans are enjoying right now. I mean, that was a tremendous play by Kyle. We've seen that so often, and this ball club is they are really playing their hearts out trying to get the fans to the playoffs. What's on your plate here for the next few weeks? Uh, you know, you've been around for a long time, getting to know everybody here and, and what's going on with this, with this new responsibility. Well, the organization's in great shape, and I feel fabulous about the leadership, particularly that Kevin Mathers providing to the back office, great things that uh, uh, Jerry DePoto's providing in terms of the, as general manager, the great things that, that service is doing on the field. And so 
there isn't a need for a turnaround or a change. This organization's in good shape. It's in a good direction. I believe we're going to win on the field, and I believe we're going to continue to win in the back office. But we've got opportunities. I think we've got opportunities in terms of, of innovation. I think we've got opportunities in terms of being able to continue to enhance the kinds of experiences that our fans have. This is ultimately all about the fans. They deserve great baseball in Seattle. The kind of innovation and cleverness that, that Jerry and Scott and his team in baseball operations, Jeff uh, Kingston, have provided, continue to, to innovate. We've got to innovate in the same way. We've got to look at technology as a way to right. supplement the experience our young fans have. We have to look at new service options for our customers, new ways of treating them, making sure that you know when you go out to the pen or when you go out to Edgar's or you go to the All-Star Club, all of which are new seating alternatives at Safeco in the last right. couple of years, you have the same kind of great experience that you have in the Diamond Club, that you have in uh, our charter seat programs. All of those are great, and we need to continue to make them great. And now we have John Stanton at the top guiding all of that. Exciting time for this franchise. John, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for the visit. You're going to have a great run as the new CEO of this ball club. We really appreciate it. Best of luck, buddy. Thank you so much, Rick. Thanks for all the great things you do in making our customers who are sitting in their homes or in their cars have a great experience as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. And now, a chance to catch up with Scott Brocious. Grew up in the Northwest, went to Linfield College, drafted in the 20th round. It's amazing to look back on your career. Parts of 11 seasons in the big leagues, an all-star game, gold glove, World Series MVP. Right. At what point did you think the Major League dream could happen? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think as a player, you have to think at, at kind of every point you hope you think is going to happen. I, I didn't know any other way to think. You know, coming out, of, coming out of high school, I wasn't drafted, but getting the opportunity to play in college, I, I had hoped would, would land me that opportunity. Then, of course, after my junior year when the A's drafted me, there was no doubt in my mind I was going to sign and go play and try to pursue it. And it was something that really was a dream of mine since I was three, four years old. So um, I always, I think in the back of your mind, you have to feel like it's a reality. But but when it really started, I think, to like, hey, I'm getting close was, you know, in double A, I had a good year in double A, put on the 40-man roster with the, the A's. And so at that point, like in 1990, you start to think, hey, this is, this is coming closer to being a reality. Well, you're a hero in New York, three rings, the World Series MVP as well. Can you put into words what that series was like? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, for me, when, when I came over to New York, it was it was such a shot of adrenaline for me. My, our last few years in Oakland, the team had kind of transitioned. It was no longer the winning team that it was when I first came up. And so getting traded from, you know, kind of a perennial last place team to a team that had a chance to, to win the World Series, what you grow up, you know, doing in your backyard <laughs> is hitting a home run in the backyard to win the World Series. So I was so excited, so fired up to, to be there that for me, the, the whole ride was just like, like one long great ride from the first day of spring training listening to guys talk about the postseason and getting back to the postseason just buying into the team first mentality let's play to win uh, it was just a, a really like I said for me it was just a, a just a great experience start to finish Mariners of course in a push right now for the postseason how is September baseball different it, it depends I, I think it doesn't have to be different it, it's great it, it is different in the sense that when you're playing for the fin and there's a there's a true finish line and you're not just playing out the string 
It's so much more exciting. You can't wait to get to the ballpark. You're looking at the other scores, all those type of things. But I think, honestly, it, it, if, if you do as a team, if you prepare as a team, and you treat every game, 1 through 162, with the same respect for the same importance, then nothing has to change in September because you don't want there, – there's no such thing as turning it up a notch. You, you turn it up full speed the whole way, and, and, and you play every game to win. And so when those meaningful games come, uh, you've been doing them all year long. And, of course, after your playing career, you went back to Linfield, eventually becoming the head coach. You built a powerhouse, winning a national championship. What was that experience like for you? Uh, in a lot of ways. In, in some ways, it was almost more satisfying as a coach. You know, when you – as a player, it's just pure joy, right? You win a, a world championship, and, and it's just pure joy. As a, as, a, as a coach, you just feel so fulfilled almost. You know, all the work with the other coaches, building the program, getting it to the, to the World Series, and then winning it. You feel great for the players. You feel great for uh, Linfield College, McMinnville, Oregon. It, it feels kind of bigger. So uh, it was really, uh, you know, pretty fulfilling thing. Linfield uh, in the Northwest Conference, non-scholarship level. What do you take coaching-wise into what you do now? Yeah, I think, you know, coaching is coaching at every level. Uh, we're certainly on I mean, There's no question. I think, Stacey, obviously you're dealing with a little different uh, talent levels, uh, guys that are in different places. Obviously not very many of our guys are moving on to play professionally. Um, but you're still teaching. You're still um, working with guys. And, and so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of constants in baseball, whether you're playing in high school, college, or in the big leagues there's certain things that all good hitters do there's certain things that all good fielders do and pitchers do and and so you just try to teach those constants and then honestly teach guys um, just the the value of competing and, and playing to win so how has this year been for you with uh, jumping back into professional baseball at the coaching ranks? Yeah, it's been a great transition back. I think there's it was everything that I, I, I expected it to be. Uh, the PCL schedule is certainly a grind. It's, it's, there's a couple times I had to remind myself at 4 in the morning when we're standing in the airport uh, that this was my idea, that I, that I chose this. Um, but overall, I think we had a, a, a great coaching staff. I mean, uh, myself, uh, Pat Listash, Lance Painter uh, worked real well together. Team, we, we had guys that were committed to, to trying to win. And, and so uh, for me, it was very enjoyable to be back and doing it again. There's a number of guys that spent time in Tacoma and came back up to Seattle and really produced at a high level. How much pride do you take in that? Oh, and there's no question. I think you, you love to see guys, you know, take that next step. Or, you know, as a coach, that that's the biggest thrill that you get is when you see kind of the light bulb go on or, you like you say, you see them make that jump or, or make that transition and, and stay there. And so um, there's no question that's the fun of this whole thing. You know, I've had my time. Uh, now it's their time, and, and it's just fun to, to see those guys making making those moves. Mike Zanino is one in particular that has uh – contributed massively here down the stretch. What was your philosophy with Mike Zanino to start the year? Yeah, you know, I think with Mike, honestly, it's it's number one. Um, you know, I, I came in with a with a blank slate. I hadn't been with him the last two or three years. Watched it, understood kind of what he's gone through. Um, and, you know, just to let him know, I've been there. You know, as a player, I've been in those places. I've been good. I've been bad. I've been in between. And, and that's just sort of the nature of this game. Um, but the biggest thing, I think, for him early was just to sort of clear the voices, kind of find himself again as a hit 
consider who he wants to be, how he feels, you know, and so that's a lot of our conversations. When you, when you feel good, the last time that you really felt good, what were you doing? What were you feeling? And kind of trying to invoke some of that again, and then kind of transition a little bit into the mechanical side of it, um, and then really more into, okay, now how do we prepare pregame, take at bats, pitch recognition, things like that. And so, you know, with, with Z, it really started with the fact that he's a really talented player, you know, and, and so good players uh, make coaches, you know, good coaches. And so um, the, he was fun to work with because he put in the work. Um, he was excited to, knew that knew that he had work to do and, and was willing and, and able to do it. Finally, Edgar Martinez just walked by us a moment ago, hitting coach here with the Mariners, obviously. You had a lot of battles going head-to-head with the Oakland, with the Yankees. What do you remember about Edgar as a hitter? Oh, he was the guy that you marveled at. I mean, he was the guy that, you know, there's certain hitters, there's certain players that make it look easier than it really is. And that's that's really what greatness is, is when somebody makes something difficult look easy. And, he, and you watch Edgar hit, and, and he was one of those guys who were like, why can't I do that? Why can't I just swing like that and make that look so easy? Uh, so that's what I remember is, you know, pitchers would come back in, and they're like, I don't know how to get him out. I don't have a plan. He hits this pitch, he hits this pitch, he hits softy, it's hard, in, out, and I think that's the thing that I just remembered was just marveling at, at kind of the humbleness and, and, you know, the way that he played, but um, he was just terrific, and he made, some, hitting is difficult, and he made it look real easy. Well, Scott, this was a real pleasure. Thank you for the time. Absolutely. Appreciate being on. And here's Rick back with Dan, the man Wilson. With uh, former Mariner catcher Dan Wilson, now the defensive coordinator in the Mariners minor league system, helping all the young catchers down there, and Danny, how about the minor leagues this year seven clubs in the postseason that's really unheard of what did you see down there when you went to all those different ball clubs and why were they all so successful the same season well, I think um, a lot of that credit goes to Andy McKay and Mike McCucci the guys that really have brought um, new energy a new approach to, to, to the minor league development system and um, the guys really really responded and you can't take away from what they've done on the field all these guys have played hard from from day one and uh, they were pushed a little bit in spring training but but it helped them get ready for the season. And then from day one of the season, they've just taken off and, and done a great job. Like you mentioned, seven, all, all of our minor league affiliates made it. Uh, we got two championships so far oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a chance for a third tonight uh, with Clinton as they, as they uh, play in the final game tonight. So it's been, uh, it's been exciting. These guys have really, really responded. And uh, I think the thing is that they've all played together. They've played together as teams. And, and uh, when you can come together and you're all pulling in the same direction, uh, that's when some, some magical things can happen. All right, let's talk about what you did so very well for many years in the big leagues, and that's catch. But before you go out to the field with the mask on and the equipment, there's a game plan. You sit down with the pitchers before the ball game. Tell me and tell the folks, what is the game plan? What do you talk about? What do you want to get ready hours before that first pitch? Well, really, it's a lot of um, you're looking at the hitters and, and what they've done against you in the past. Um, uh, Mel Stottlemyre does a great job of sort of, uh, you know, putting together some of the hitters' strengths, what they like, what they don't like. Uh, and then it's, as a, catcher, a pitcher and a catcher, you sit down before a game and you kind of match up the hitters' weaknesses with, with the pitcher's strength. You look at what our particular pitcher that night can do and how you want to approach each guy in the lineup. And you go through each guy and, and you make sure you're on the same page. Uh, because when you, when you do it right and you do it well and you have a good game plan that you've prepared, then you just go out on the field and execute it. And there will be times when you see hitters adjust because this game is about adjustments, so they don't always follow exactly what you thought they were going to do. Uh, and then you make in-game adjustments to your game plan. That's what you see guys you know, between innings on the bench, pitchers and catchers talking, pitching coaches 
you know, what are these guys doing? Are they trying to make adjustments? And what kind of adjustments are they trying to make? And so you continue to, to add to the game plan, change the game plan as you go. But you want to be prepared. You want to have something that you're going to go out there and attack them with. Okay, now you're prepared with all that information. You go out to the bullpen and you have whatever pitches that uh, pitch is going to throw to get ready and you're down there with them can you tell if whether or not that guy's going to have a good outing or not sometimes they feel great then they have a lousy outing and sometimes they feel lousy and go out and throw a no hitter but as a catcher how does that work out i'll tell you what if if we had to bet on a game out there we wouldn't be very good at it it's kind of like a hitter you know a lot of times a hitter goes into bp he has a great bp and he's 0 for 4 with 4k's he has a great or a horrible BP, and he goes out and he gets four hits. I think a lot of that can be the same out in the bullpen as well. Some guys just don't look like they have what they need. They get in the game, and all of a sudden something clicks for them, and they take off. But that's kind of the rarity. I think for the most yeah. part out there in the bullpen, there isn't, you know, you've gone over the game plan. That's kind of on the back burner at the moment. Uh, the bullpen is about the pitcher getting right mechanically, getting right mentally, getting right physically to execute his pitches. Because if you can't execute your game plan, plan yeah. it doesn't do anything for you. So he's out there working on his strengths, working on his fastball location, working on his breaking pitch and secondary pitch location, trying to get sharp so when he <laughs> takes it out there, he's ready to execute. Okay, we talked about the game plan. He's warmed up in the bullpen. He's feeling great. You walk in with him. I love when Felix comes in with that music. Game starts, all of a sudden, hmm, plan A is not working. You talked about adjustments. What's plan B for a guy? Well, plan B is, is, is the adjustments that you see. You know, a particular guy uh, he might not be doing what you thought he was going to do in the batter's box. Your pitcher may not be executing the way you thought he could execute, and, and uh, you may need to go more off-speed early in the game and, and, and then go back to the fastball later in the game. So there's there's all kinds of these give and takes that you you know you, you have to observe when you're behind the plate, and that's what Mel Stottlemyre does such a great job of. Scott Service over here, everyone that kind of watching the game is, is, is helping you to see what kind of adjustments might need to be made in, in, in those innings to try to get him through that early part of the game. A lot of work goes on before a ball game, doesn't it, to, to make sure that guy can get through deep into a ball game. You're watching swings and to, to help that guy through some rough patches during the course of a game, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and I think a lot of times... Um, when pitchers have histories against clubs and they've seen hitters, it, it helps tremendously because they, in their mind's eye, they understand his swing. They know um, uh, how they want to pitch each guy. That always helps. Um, and, and pitchers that haven't seen guys, some guys are better at reading swings than others. And I think uh, uh, that is, is, is a skill in and of itself. But all that happens when, when guys aren't pitching and they're on the, in, in the dugout watching a game. Those are the kind of things they're watching. They're watching the hitter's swings. So when they get a chance to go out there, they know exactly how they want to approach them. So there's always, like you mentioned, there's always something going on, always uh, yeah. thinking, always looking at the other team and, and trying to decipher how I would get that guy out. A lot of homework before a ball game. Danny, thank you so much for the visit here on Rick's Tips. You do such a great job, you know, with this organization right now with the kids, and you were outstanding to watch for many years. Appreciate it, buddy. Rick, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> The curve swinging a high fly ball hit into deep left center field, and that's got a chance to go. It won't, but it'll bounce off the base of the wall. And Dan Wilson's going to have a triple, maybe a shot at an inside the park home run. Here he comes down the stretch. The throw to the plate, not in time. Dan Wilson has hit an inside the park home run. My, oh my! One of the rarest feats in baseball. It has been a while since a Mariner hit an inside-the-park home run. That drive got between Higginson and Hunter. I thought for a moment it had a chance to go. It went all right. It went off the base of the wall. 
By the time it was picked up out there, Higginson went back, watched it. Higginson retrieved it in shallow center field, and by the time the throw came to the plate, Dan Wilson just about out of gas, turning it on. The relay was not in time, not nearly in time. Dan Wilson has given the Mariners a 6 to nothing lead and a big smile on his face. See you later! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.